0: Hey everyone, welcome back to week three of The Wizard of Oz. I'm in my living room, not in the studio, or I'm in my kitchen actually, not in the studio this week. And just talking to you and hoping everyone's doing good. We are at book four of The Wizard of Oz, book three about Dorothy. I'm hanging out here with some cool babies. I'm
1: not a baby!
0: You're not a baby, okay. You're not a baby. I'm hanging out with some cool kids. How how do you feel about that?
1: Um, I can.
0: Okay, you're a kid. All right. Thank you so much and that was Minnie who's helping be uh produce the show this week. So, do you do you like The Wizard of Oz, Minnie?
1: I haven't seen that.
0: You've never seen The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. What's your favorite uh what's your favorite book?
1: Um Any book in my turquoise back?
0: Okay. Um what books would those be?
1: Um Do you know. Um, you know, I have the counting, um, bug one. And even I did. And even, um, it's with a ladybug. And even on the, um, she asked all the bugs. She, she looked it at her tea. And even all the cakes. But there was no bite. But then the bunch cake.
0: All right, bugs game. That's pretty cool. So, how are you doing? Are you are you having a good week, Minerva? Yeah, but even
1: there's
0: a, there's one in on the, um, the book rack. Yeah, there's one on the book rack. Um, which is which is about Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. Okay. All right. So, your favorite things right now are Pokemon, Paw Patrol, and Frozen. Yeah, even. Yeah, even. Um... Power Rangers,
1: 'cause they have uh,
0: You like Power Rangers, too. Okay, because you, Minnie, you want to be a ninja? Yes. Yeah, you want to be a ninja. Well, there's no ninjas in The Wizard of Oz, but there is Bunny Slippers from BunnySlippers.com in this advertisement. Thank you so much. Minnie, do you like the bunny slipper, bunny slippers, the fuzzy cow slippers in the front room? (laughs) No, Easter was two days ago. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Black Clock Audio Tales. (laughs) It's been an interesting week, and we all hope you're doing well, and we hope you're keeping warm, and you've got cool stuff like bunny slippers and found-item clothing. Thank you so much. Remember to help support the show by going to Facebook, Instagram... Uh, itunes stitcher any place that you find out about our podcast that you can tell other people about it or recommend it and rate and review that really helps the show and yeah dorothy and the wizard here we go
1: Ozma uses the magic belt for a considerable distance the way led straight upward in a gentle incline and the wanderers made such good progress that they grew hopeful and eager thinking they might see sunshine at any minute. But at length they came unexpectedly upon a huge rock that shut off the passage and blocked them from proceeding a single step farther. This rock was separate from the rest of the mountain and was in motion, turning slowly around and around as if upon a pivot. When first they came to it, there was a solid wall before them but presently it revolved until there was exposed a wide smooth path across it to the other side. This appeared so unexpectedly that they were unprepared to take advantage of it at first, and allowed the rocky wall to swing around again before they had decided to pass over. But they knew now that there was a means of escape, and so waited patiently until the path appeared for the second time. The children and the wizard rushed across the moving rock and sprang into the passage beyond, landing safely, though a little out of breath. Jim the cab-horse came last, and the rocky wall almost caught him, for just as he leaped to the floor of the further passage, the wall swung across it, and a loose stone that the buggy wheels knocked against fell into the narrow crack where the rock turned and became wedged there. They heard a crunching, grinding sound, a loud snap, and then the turntable came to a stop, with its broadest surface shutting off the path from which they had come. "'Never mind,' said Zeb. "'We don't want to get back anyhow.' "'I'm not so sure of that,' returned Dorothy. "'The mother dragon may come down and catch us here.' "'It is possible,' agreed the wizard, "'if this proves to be the path she usually takes.' But I have been examining this tunnel, and I do not see any signs of so large a beast having passed through it. Then we're all right, said the girl. For if the dragon went the other way, she can't possibly get to us now. Of course not, my dear, but there is another thing to consider. The mother dragon probably knows the road to the earth's surface, and if she went the other way, then we have come the wrong way, said the wizard thoughtfully. Dear me, cried Dorothy. "'That would be unlucky, wouldn't it?' "'Very—unless this passage also leads to the top of the earth,' said Zeb. "'For my part, if we manage to get out of here, I'll be glad it isn't the way the dragon comes.' "'So will I,' returned Dorothy. "'It's enough to have your pedigree flung in your face by those saucy dragonettes. No one knows what the mother might do.' They now moved on again, creeping slowly up another steep incline. The lanterns were beginning to grow dim, and the wizard poured the remaining oil from one into the other, so that the one light would last longer. But their journey was almost over, for in a short time they reached a small cave from which there was no further outlet. They did not realize their ill fortune at first, for their hearts were gladdened by the sight of a ray of sunshine coming through a small crack in the roof of the cave far overhead. That meant that their world, the real world, was not very far away, and that the succession of perilous adventures they had encountered had at last brought them near the earth's surface which meant home to them. But when the adventurers looked more carefully around them, They discovered that they were in a strong prison from which there was no hope of escape. "'But we're almost on Earth again,' cried Dorothy, "'for there is the sun, the most beautiful sun that shines.' And she pointed eagerly at the crack in the distant roof. "'Almost on Earth isn't being there,' said the kitten in a discontented tone. "'It wouldn't be possible for even me to get up to that crack, or through it, if I got there.' "'It appears that the path ends here,' announced the wizard gloomily. "'And there is no way to go back,' added Zeb, with a low whistle of perplexity. "'I was sure it would come to this in the end,' remarked the old cab-horse. "'Folks don't fall into the middle of the earth and then get back again to tell of their adventures not in real life. "'And the whole thing has been unnatural.' "'because that cat and I are both able to talk your language "'and to understand the words you say.' "'And so can the nine tiny piglets,' added Eureka. "'Don't forget them, for I may have to eat them after all.' "'I've heard animals talk before,' said Dorothy, "'and no harm came of it.' "'Were you ever shut up in a cave far under the earth "'with no way of getting out?' inquired the horse seriously. "'No,' answered Dorothy, "'But don't lose heart, Jim, "'for I'm sure this isn't the end of our story by any means.' "'The reference to the piglets reminded the wizard "'that his pets had not enjoyed much exercise lately "'and must be tired of their prison in his pocket. "'So he sat down upon the floor of the cave, "'brought the piglets out one by one, "'and allowed them to run around as much as they pleased. "'My dears,' he said to them, "'I'm afraid I have got you into a lot of trouble, "'and that you will never again be able to leave this gloomy cave.' "'What's wrong?' asked the piglet. "'We've been in the dark quite a while, "'and you may as well explain what has happened.' The wizard told them of the misfortune that had overtaken the wanderers. "'Well,' said another piglet, "'you are a wizard, are you not?' "'I am,' replied the little man.' "'Then you can do a few whizzes and get us out of this hole,' declared the tiny one with much confidence. "'I could if I happened to be a real wizard,' returned the master sadly. "'But I'm not, Piggy wheeze. I'm a humbug wizard.' "'Nonsense!' cried several of the piglets together. "'You can ask Dorothy,' said the little man in an injured tone. "'It's true enough,' returned the girl earnestly. "'Our friend Oz is merely a humbug wizard.' For he once proved it to me. He can do several very wonderful things, if he knows how, but he can't whiz a single thing if he hasn't the tools and machinery to work with. "'Thank you, my dear, for doing me justice,' responded the wizard gratefully. "'To be accused of being a real wizard when I'm not is a slander I will not tamely submit to.' "'but I am one of the greatest humbug wizards that ever lived, "'and you will realize this when we have all starved together "'and our bones are scattered over the floor of this lonely cave.' "'I don't believe we'll realize anything when it comes to that,' "'remarked Dorothy, who had been deep in thought. "'But I'm not going to scatter my bones just yet, "'because I need them, and you probably need yours too.' "'We are helpless to escape,' sighed the wizard. "'We may be helpless,' answered Dorothy, smiling at him. "'But there are others who can do more than we can. "'Cheer up, friends. "'I'm sure Ozma will help us.' "'Ozma?' exclaimed the wizard. "'Who is Ozma?' "'The girl that rules the marvellous land of Oz,' was the reply. "'She's a friend of mine, for I met her in the land of Ev not long ago, "'and went to Oz with her.' For the second time, asked the wizard with great interest. Yes, the first time I went to Oz I found you there, ruling the Emerald City. After you went up in a balloon and escaped us, I got back to Kansas by means of a pair of magical silver shoes. I remember those shoes, said the little man, nodding. They once belonged to the Wicked Witch. Have you them here with you? "'No, I lost them somewhere in the air,' exclaimed the child. "'But the second time I went to the Land of Oz, "'I owned the Nome King's magic belt, "'which is much more powerful than were the silver shoes.' "'Where is that magic belt?' inquired the wizard, "'who had listened with great interest. "'Ozma has it, for its powers won't work in a common ordinary country "'like the United States. "'Anyone in a fairy country like the Land of Oz can do anything with it, "'So I left it with my friend, the Princess Ozma, "'who used it to wish me in Australia with Uncle Henry.' "'And were you?' asked Zeb, astonished at what he heard. "'Of course, in just a jiffy. "'And Ozma has an enchanted picture hanging in her room "'that shows her the exact scene where any of her friends may be "'at any time she chooses. "'All she has to do is to say... I wonder what so-and-so is doing, and at once the picture shows where her friend is and what the friend is doing. That's real magic, Mr. Wizard, isn't it? Well, every day at four o'clock, Ozma has promised to look at me in that picture, and if I am in need of help, I'm to make her a certain sign, and she will put on the Gnome King's magic belt and wish me to be with her in Oz.' "'Do you mean that Princess Ozma will see this cave in her enchanted picture "'and see all of us here and what we are doing?' demanded Seb. "'Of course, when it is four o'clock,' she replied, with a laugh at his startled expression. "'And when you make a sign, she will bring you to her in the land of Oz?' continued the boy. "'That's it exactly, by means of the magic belt.' "'Then,' said the wizard, "'You will be saved, little Dorothy, and I am very glad of it. The rest of us will die much more cheerfully when we know you have escaped our sad fate.' "'I won't die cheerfully,' protested the kitten. "'There's nothing cheerful about dying that I could ever see, although they say a cat has nine lives and so must die nine times.' "'Have you ever died yet?' inquired the boy. "'No, and I'm not anxious to begin,' said Eureka.' "'Don't worry, dear,' Dorothy exclaimed. "'I'll hold you in my arms and take you with me.' "'Take us, too!' cried the nine tiny piglets all in one breath. "'Perhaps I can,' answered Dorothy. "'I'll try.' "'Couldn't you manage to hold me in your arms?' asked the cab-horse. Dorothy laughed. "'I'll do better than that,' she promised. "'For I can easily save you all, once I am myself in the Land of Oz.' "'How?' they asked.' "'by using the magic belt. "'All I need to do is to wish you with me, "'and there you'll be, safe in the royal palace.' "'Good!' cried Zeb. "'I built that palace and the Emerald City, too,' "'remarked the wizard in a thoughtful tone. "'And I'd like to see them again, "'for I was very happy among the Munchkins and Winkies "'and Quadlings and Gillikins." "'Who are they?' asked the boy. "'The four nations that inhabit the land of Oz,' "'was the reply.' "'I wonder if they would treat me nicely if I went there again.' "'Of course they would,' declared Dorothy. "'They are still proud of their former wizard, and often speak of you kindly.' "'Do you happen to know whatever became of the Tin Woodman and the Scarecrow?' he inquired. "'They live in Oz yet,' said the girl, and are very important people. "'And the cowardly lion? "'Oh, he lives there too with his friend the Hungry Tiger.' "'And Belina is there because she liked the place better than Kansas "'and wouldn't go with me to Australia.' "'I'm afraid I don't know the Hungry Tiger and Belina,' said the wizard, shaking his head. "'Is Belina a girl?' "'No, she's a yellow hen and a great friend of mine. "'You're sure to like Belina when you know her,' asserted Dorothy. "'Your friends sound like a menagerie,' remarked Zeb uneasily. "'Couldn't you wish me in some safer place than Oz?' "'Don't worry,' replied the girl. "'You'll just love the folks in Oz when you get acquainted. "'What time is it, Mr. Wizard?' The little man looked at his watch, a big silver one that he carried in his vest pocket. "'Half past three, he said. "'Then we must wait for half an hour,' she continued, "'but it won't take long after that "'to carry us all to the Emerald City.' They sat silently thinking for a time. Then Jim suddenly asked, "'Are there any horses in Oz?' "'Only one,' replied Dorothy, "'and he's a sawhorse.' "'A what?' "'A sawhorse. "'Princess Ozma once brought him to life "'with a witch-powder when she was a boy.' "'Was Ozma once a boy?' asked Zeb wonderingly. "'Yes, a wicked witch enchanted her, "'so she could not rule her kingdom. "'But she's a girl now, "'and the sweetest, loveliest girl in all the world.' "'A sawhorse is a thing they saw boards on,' remarked Jim with a sniff. "'It's not when it's alive,' acknowledged the girl. "'But this sawhorse can trot as fast as you can, Jim, and he's very wise, too.' "'Pah! I'll race the miserable wooden donkey any day in the week,' cried the cab-horse. Dorothy did not reply to that. She felt that Jim would know more about the sawhorse later on. The time dragged wearily enough to the eager watchers, But finally the wizard announced that four o'clock had arrived, and Dorothy caught up the kitten and began to make the signal that had been agreed upon to their far-away invisible Ozma. "'Nothing seems to happen,' said Zeb doubtfully. "'Oh, we must give Ozma time to put on the magic belt,' replied the girl. "'She had scarcely spoken the words, when she suddenly disappeared from the cave, and with her went the kitten.' There had been no sound of any kind, and no warning. One moment Dorothy sat beside them with the kitten in her lap, and a moment later the horse, the piglets, the wizard, and the boy were all that remained in the underground prison. "'I believe we will soon follow her,' announced the wizard in a tone of great relief, for I know something about the magic of the fairyland that is called the Land of Oz. Let us be ready, for we may be sent for any minute.' He put the piglets safely away in his pocket again, and then he and Zeb got into the buggy and sat expectantly upon the seat. "'Will it hurt?' asked the boy in a voice that trembled a little. "'Not at all,' replied the wizard. "'It will all happen as quick as a wink.' And that was the way it did happen. The cab-horse gave a nervous start, and Zeb began to rub his eyes to make sure he was not asleep, for they were in the streets of a beautiful emerald green city, "'Bathed in a grateful green light "'that was especially pleasing to their eyes, "'and surrounded by merry-faced people "'in gorgeous green and gold costumes "'of many extraordinary designs. "'Before them were the jewel-studded gates "'of a magnificent palace, "'and now the gates opened slowly "'as if inviting them to enter the courtyard, "'where splendid flowers were blooming "'and pretty fountains shot their silvery sprays into the air.' Zeb shook the reins to rouse the cab-horse from his stupor of amazement, for the people were beginning to gather around and stare at the strangers. "'Giddyap!' cried the boy, and at the word Jim slowly trotted into the courtyard and drew the buggy along the jeweled driveway to the great entrance of the royal palace. End of Chapter Fourteen Old Friends Are Reunited Many servants, dressed in handsome uniforms, stood ready to welcome the new arrivals, and when the wizard got out of the buggy, a pretty girl in a green gown cried out in surprise, Why, it's Oz, the wonderful wizard, come back again! The little man looked at her closely, and then took both the maiden's hands in his, and shook them cordially. On my word, he exclaimed, it's little Jellia Jam, as pert and pretty as ever. Why not, Mr. Wizard, asked Jellia, bowing low. But I'm afraid you cannot rule in Emerald City as you used to, because we now have a beautiful princess whom everyone loves dearly. And the people will not willingly part with her, added a tall soldier in a Captain General's uniform. The wizard turned to look at him. Did you not wear green whiskers at one time? he asked. Yes, said the soldier. But I shaved them off long ago, and since then I have risen from a private to be the chief general of the royal armies. That's nice, said the little man. But I assure you, my good people, that I do not wish to rule the Emerald City, he added earnestly. In that case, you are very welcome, cried all the servants and it pleased the wizard to note the respect with which the royal retainers bowed before him. His fame had not been forgotten in the land of Oz by any means. "'Where is Dorothy?' inquired Zeb anxiously, as he left the buggy and stood beside his friend the little wizard. "'She is with the Princess Ozma in the private rooms of the palace,' replied Jellia-Jam. "'But she has ordered me to make you welcome and to show you to your apartments.' THE BOY LOOKED AROUND HIM WITH WONDERING EYES. SUCH MAGNIFICENCE AND WEALTH AS WAS DISPLAYED IN THIS PALACE WAS MORE THAN HE HAD EVER DREAMED OF, AND HE COULD SCARCELY BELIEVE THAT ALL THE GORGEOUS GLITTER WAS REAL AND NOT TINSEL. WHAT IS TO BECOME OF ME? ASKED THE HORSE UNEASILY. HE HAD SEEN CONSIDERABLE OF LIFE IN THE CITIES IN HIS YOUNGER DAYS, AND KNEW THAT THIS REGAL PALACE WAS NO PLACE FOR HIM. It perplexed even Jellia Jam for a time to know what to do with the animal. The green maiden was much astonished at the sight of so unusual a creature. For horses were unknown in this land, but those who lived in the Emerald City were apt to be astonished by queer sights. So, after inspecting the cab horse and noting the mild look in his big eyes, the girl decided not to be afraid of him. There are no stables here, said the wizard, unless some have been built since I went away. We have never needed them before, answered Jellia, for the sawhorse lives in a room of the palace, being much smaller and more natural in appearance than this great beast you have brought with you. Do you mean that I am a freak? asked Jim angrily. Oh, no, she hastened to say. "'There may be many more like you in the place you come from, "'but in Oz any horse but a sawhorse is unusual.' "'This mollified Jim a little, and after some thought "'the green maiden decided to give the cab horse a room in the palace, "'such a big building having many rooms that were seldom in use. "'So Zeb unharnessed Jim, and several of the servants "'then led the horse around to the rear,' Where they selected a nice, large apartment that he could have all to himself. Then Jellia said to the wizard, Your own room, which was back of the great throne room, has been vacant ever since you left us. Would you like it again? Yes, indeed, returned the little man. It will seem like being at home again, for I lived in that room for many, many years. He knew the way to it, and a servant followed him carrying his satchel. Zeb was also escorted to a room so grand and beautiful that he almost feared to sit in the chairs or lie upon the bed lest he might dim their splendor. In the closets he discovered many fancy costumes of rich velvets and brocades, and one of the attendants told him to dress himself in any of the clothes that pleased him and to be prepared to dine with the princess and Dorothy in an hour's time. Opening from the chamber was a fine bathroom, having a marble tub with perfumed water. So the boy, still dazed by the novelty of his surroundings, indulged in a good bath and then selected a maroon velvet costume with silver buttons to replace his own soiled and much-worn clothing. There were silk stockings and soft leather slippers with diamond buckles to accompany his new costume, and, when he was fully dressed, Zeb looked much more dignified and imposing than ever before in his life. He was all ready when an attendant came to escort him to the presence of the princess. He followed bashfully, and was ushered into a room more dainty and attractive than it was splendid. Here he found Dorothy seated beside a young girl, so marvelously beautiful, that the boy stopped suddenly with a gasp of admiration. But Dorothy sprang up and ran to seize her friend's hand, drawing him impulsively toward the lovely princess, who smiled most graciously upon her guest. Then the wizard entered, and his presence relieved the boy's embarrassment. The little man was clothed in black velvet, with many sparkling emerald ornaments decorating his breast, but his bald head and wrinkled features made him appear more amusing than impressive. Ozma had been quite curious to meet the famous man who had built the Emerald City, and united the munchkins, gillikins, quadlings, and winkies into one people. So when they were all four seated at the dinner table, the princess said, Please tell me, Mr. Wizard, whether you called yourself Oz after this great country, or whether you believe my country is called Oz after you. It is a matter that I have long wished to inquire about, because you are of a strange race, and my own name is Ozma." No one, I am sure, is better able to explain this mystery than you. That is true, answered the little wizard. Therefore, it will give me pleasure to explain my connection with your country. In the first place, I must tell you that I was born in Omaha, and my father, who was a politician, named me Oscar Zoroaster Phaedrick Isaac Norman Henkel Emmanuel Embroise Diggs. Diggs being the last name, because he could think of no more to go before it. Taken together, it was a dreadfully long name to weigh down a poor innocent child, and one of the hardest lessons I ever learned was to remember my own name. When I grew up, I just called myself O.Z., because the other initials were P.I.N.H.E.A.D., and that spelled Pinhead, which was a reflection on my intelligence. "'Surely no one could blame you for cutting your name short,' said Ozma sympathetically. "'But didn't you cut it almost too short?' "'Perhaps so,' replied the wizard. "'When a young man I ran away from home and joined a circus, "'I used to call myself a wizard and do tricks of ventriloquism.' "'What does that mean?' asked the princess. "'Throwing my voice into any object I pleased, "'to make it appear that the object was speaking instead of me,' Also I began to make balloon ascensions. On my balloon, and on all the other articles I used in the circus, I painted the two initials O.Z. to show that those things belonged to me. One day my balloon ran away with me, and brought me across the deserts to this beautiful country. When the people saw me come from the sky, they naturally thought me some superior creature, and bowed down before me, I told them I was a wizard, and showed them some easy tricks that amazed them, and when they saw the initials painted on the balloon, they called me Oz. "'Now I begin to understand,' said the princess, smiling. "'At that time,' continued the wizard, busily eating his soup while talking, "'there were four separate countries in this land, each one of the four being ruled by a witch. But the people thought my power was greater than that of the witches. "'and perhaps the witches thought so too, for they never dared oppose me. "'I ordered the Emerald City to be built just where the four countries cornered together, "'and when it was completed I announced myself the ruler of the Land of Oz, "'which included all the four countries of the Munchkins, the Gillikins, the Winkies, and the Quadlings. "'Over this land I ruled in peace for many years,' until I grew old and longed to see my native city once again. So, when Dorothy was first blown to this place by a cyclone, I arranged to go away with her in a balloon, but the balloon escaped too soon and carried me back alone. After many adventures, I reached Omaha, only to find that all my old friends were dead or had moved away. So, having nothing else to do, I joined a circus again and made my balloon ascensions until the earthquake caught me. That is quite a history, said Ozma. but there is a little more history about the land of Oz that you do not seem to understand, perhaps for the reason that no one ever told it to you. Many years before you came here, this land was united under one ruler, as it is now, and the ruler's name was always Oz, which means in our language great and good, or if the ruler happened to be a woman, her name was always Ozma. But once upon a time, four witches lead together to depose the king and rule the four parts of the kingdom themselves. So when the ruler, my grandfather, was hunting one day, one wicked witch named Mombi stole him and carried him away, keeping him close prisoner. Then the witches divided up the kingdom and ruled the four parts of it until you came here. That was why the people were so glad to see you, and why they thought from your initials that you were their rightful ruler. But at that time, said the wizard thoughtfully, there were two good witches and two wicked witches ruling in the land. Yes, replied Ozma, because a good witch had conquered Mambi in the north, and Glinda the good had conquered the evil witch in the south. But Mambi was still my grandfather's jailer, and afterward my father's jailer, When I was born, she transformed me into a boy, hoping that no one would ever recognize me and know that I was the rightful princess of the land of Oz. But I escaped from her and am now the ruler of my people. I am very glad of that, said the wizard, and hope you will consider me one of your most faithful and devoted subjects. We owe a great deal to the wonderful wizard, continued the princess, for it was you who built this splendid emerald city. Your people built it, he answered. I only bossed the job, as we say in Omaha. But you ruled it wisely and well for many years, said she, and made the people proud of your magical art. So as you are now too old to wander abroad and work in a circus, I offer you a home here as long as you live." You shall be the official wizard of my kingdom, and be treated with every respect and consideration. I accept your kind offer with gratitude, gracious princess, the little man said in a soft voice, and they could all see that teardrops were standing in his keen old eyes. It meant a good deal to him to secure a home like this. He's only a humbug wizard, though, said Dorothy, smiling at him. "'And that is the safest kind of wizard to have,' replied Ozma promptly. "'Oz can do some good tricks, humbug or no humbug,' announced Zeb, who was now feeling more at ease. "'He shall amuse us with his tricks to-morrow,' said the princess. "'I have sent messengers to summon all of Dorothy's old friends to meet her and give her welcome, and they ought to arrive very soon now.' Indeed, the dinner was no sooner finished than in rushed the Scarecrow to hug Dorothy in his padded arms and tell her how glad he was to see her again. The wizard was also most heartily welcomed by the Straw Man, who was an important personage in the Land of Oz. How are your brains? inquired the little humbug, as he grasped the soft, stuffed hands of his old friend. Working finely, answered the Scarecrow. I'm very certain, Oz, that you gave me the best brains in the world, for I can think with them day and night when all other brains are fast asleep. How long did you rule the Emerald City after I left here? was the next question. Quite a while, until I was conquered by a girl named General Ginger, but Ozma soon conquered her with the help of Glinda the Good, and after that I went to live with Nick Chopper, the Tin Woodman. Just then a loud cackling was heard outside, and when a servant threw open the door with a low bow, a yellow hen strutted in. Dorothy sprang forward and caught the fluffy fowl in her arms, uttering at the same time a glad cry. Oh, Belina, she said, how fat and sleek you've grown! Why shouldn't I? asked the hen in a sharp, clear voice. I live on the fat of the land, don't I, Ozma?" You have everything you wish for, said the princess. Around Bellina's neck was a string of beautiful pearls, and on her legs were bracelets of emeralds. She nestled herself comfortably in Dorothy's lap until the kitten gave a snarl of jealous anger and leaped up with a sharp claw fiercely bared to strike Bellina a blow. But the little girl gave the angry kitten such a severe cuff that it jumped down again without daring to scratch. "'How hard of you, Eureka!' cried Dorothy. "'Is that the way to treat my friends?' "'You have queer friends, seems to me,' replied the kitten in a surly tone. "'Seems to me the same way,' said Belita scornfully. "'If that beastly cat is one of them—' "'Look here,' said Dorothy sternly. I won't have any quarreling in the land of Oz, I can tell you. Everybody lives in peace here and loves everybody else, and unless you two, Belina and Eureka, make up and be friends, I'll take my magic belt and wish you both home again immediately. So there. They were both much frightened at the threat and promised meekly to be good, but it was never noticed that they became very warm friends for all that. And now the tin woodman arrived, his body most beautifully nickel-plated, so that it shone splendidly in the brilliant light of the room. The tin woodman loved Dorothy most tenderly, and welcomed with joy the return of the little old wizard. "'Sir,' said he to the latter, "'I can never thank you enough for the excellent heart you once gave me. It has made me many friends, I assure you.' and it beats as kindly and lovingly today as it ever did. I'm glad to hear that, said the wizard. I was afraid it would get moldy in that tin body of yours. Not at all, returned Nick Chopper. It keeps finely being preserved in my air-tight chest. Zeb was a little shy when first introduced to these queer people, but they were so friendly and sincere that he soon grew to admire them very much even finding some good qualities in the yellow hen. But he became nervous again when the next visitor was announced. "'This,' said Princess Ozma, "'is my friend, Mr. H. M. Wogglebug, T. E., who assisted me one time when I was in great distress, and is now the dean of the Royal College of Athletic Science.' "'Ah,' said the wizard, "'I'm pleased to meet so distinguished a personage.' HM. Said the Woggle Bug pompously, means highly magnified, and T E means thoroughly educated. I am in reality a very big bug, and doubtless the most intelligent being in all this broad domain. How well you disguise it, said the Wizard, but I don't doubt your word in the least. Nobody doubts it, sir, replied the Woggle Bug, and drawing a book from his pocket, the strange insect turned its back on the company and sat down in a corner to read. Nobody minded this rudeness, which might have seemed more impolite in one less thoroughly educated, so they straightway forgot him and joined in a merry conversation that kept them well amused until bedtime arrived. End of chapter 15 Jim the Cab Horse "'Jim the cab-horse found himself in possession of a large room with a green marble floor "'and carved marble wainscoting, which was so stately in its appearance that it would "'have awed anyone else. "'Jim accepted it as a mere detail, and at his command the attendants gave his coat a "'good rubbing, combed his mane and tail, and washed his hoofs and fetlocks. "'Then they told him dinner would be served directly.' and he replied that they could not serve it too quickly to suit his convenience. First they brought him a steaming bowl of soup, which the horse eyed in dismay. "'Take that stuff away,' he commanded. "'Do you take me for a salamander?' They obeyed at once, and next served a fine large turbot on a silver platter, with drawn gravy poured over it. "'Fish?' cried Jim with a sniff. "'Do you take me for a tomcat? Away with it!' The servants were a little discouraged, but soon they brought in a great tray containing two dozen nicely roasted quail on toast. "'Well, well,' said the horse, now thoroughly provoked, "'do you take me for a weasel? How stupid and ignorant you are! In the land of Oz what dreadful things you feed upon! Is there nothing that is decent to eat in this palace?' The trembling servants sent for the royal steward, who came in haste and said, "'What would your highness like for dinner?' Highness," repeated Jim, who was unused to such titles. "'You are at least six feet high, and that is higher than any other animal in this country,' said the steward. "'Well, my highness would like some oats,' declared the horse. "'Oats?' "'We have no whole oats,' the steward replied with much deference. "'But there is any quantity of oatmeal which we often cook for breakfast.' "'Oatmeal is a breakfast dish,' added the steward humbly. "'I'll make it a dinner dish,' said Jim. "'Fetch it on, but don't cook it as you value your life.' You see, the respect shown the worn-out old cab-horse made him a little arrogant." and he forgot he was a guest, never having been treated otherwise than as a servant since the day he was born, until his arrival in the land of Oz. But the royal attendants did not heed the animal's ill-temper. They soon mixed a tub of oatmeal with a little water, and Jim ate it with much relish. Then the servants heaped a lot of rugs upon the floor, and the old horse slept on the softest bed he had ever known in his life. In the morning, as soon as it was daylight, he resolved to take a walk and try to find some grass for breakfast. So he ambled calmly through the handsome arch of the doorway, turned the corner of the palace, wherein all seemed asleep, and came face to face with the sawhorse. Jim stopped abruptly, being startled and amazed. The sawhorse stopped at the same time and stared at the other with its queer protruding eyes which were mere knots in the log that formed its body. The legs of the sawhorse were four sticks driven into holes bored in the log. Its tail was a small branch that had been left by accident, and its mouth a place chopped in one end of the body, which projected a little and served as a head. The ends of the wooden legs were shod with plates of solid gold, and the saddle of the Princess Ozma, which was of red leather set with sparkling diamonds, was strapped to the clumsy body. Jim's eyes stuck out as much as those of the sawhorse, and he stared at the creature with his ears erect and its long head drawn back until it rested against his arched neck. In this comical position the two horses circled slowly around each other for a while, each being unable to realize what the singular thing might be which it now beheld for the first time. Then Jim exclaimed, "'For goodness sake, what sort of a being are you?' "'I am a sawhorse,' replied the other. "'Oh, I believe I have heard of you,' said the cab-horse. "'But you are unlike anything that I expected to see.' "'I do not doubt it,' the sawhorse observed with a tone of pride. "'I am considered quite unusual.' "'You are indeed, but a rickety wooden thing like you has no right to be alive.' "'I couldn't help it,' returned the other, rather crestfallen. "'Ozma sprinkled me with a magic powder, and I just had to live. "'I know I'm not much account, but I'm the only horse in all the land of Oz, "'so they treat me with great respect.' "'You? A horse? Oh, not a real one, of course. "'There are no real horses here at all, but I'm a splendid imitation of one.' "'Jim gave an indignant neigh.' Look at me, he cried. Behold, a real horse. The wooden animal gave a start, and then examined the other intently. Is it possible that you are a real horse? he murmured. Not only possible, but true, replied Jim, who was gratified by the impression he had created. "'It is proved by my fine points. "'For example, look at the long hairs on my tail "'with which I can whisk away the flies.' "'The flies never bother me,' said the sawhorse. "'And notice my great strong teeth with which I nibble the grass.' "'It is not necessary for me to eat,' observed the sawhorse. "'Also examine my broad chest, "'which enables me to draw deep, full breaths,' said Jim proudly. "'I have no need to breathe,' returned the other. "'Oh, you miss many pleasures,' remarked the cab horse pityingly. "'You do not know the relief of brushing away a fly that has bitten you, "'nor the delight of eating delicious food, "'nor the satisfaction of drawing a long breath of fresh pure air. "'You may be an imitation of a horse, but you're a mighty poor one.' "'Oh, I cannot hope ever to be like you,' sighed the sawhorse. "'But I am glad to meet at last a real horse. "'You are certainly the most beautiful creature I ever beheld.' "'This praise won Jim completely. "'To be called beautiful was a novelty in his experience,' said he. "'Your chief fault, my friend, is in being made of wood, "'and that I suppose you cannot help.' real horses like myself are made of flesh and blood and bones i can see the bones all right replied the sawhorse and they are admirable and distinct also i can see the flesh but the blood i suppose is tucked away inside exactly said jim what good is it asked the sawhorse jim did not know but he would not tell the sawhorse that if anything cuts me he replied "'The blood runs out to show where I am cut. "'You poor thing cannot even bleed when you are hurt.' "'But I am never hurt,' said the sawhorse. "'Once in a while I get broken up some, "'but I am easily repaired and put in good order again, "'and I never feel a break or a splinter in the least.' "'Jim was almost tempted to envy the wooden horse "'for being unable to feel pain, "'but the creature was so absurdly unnatural.' that he decided he would not change places with it under any circumstances. "'How did you happen to be shod with gold?' he asked. "'Princess Ozma did that,' was the reply. "'And it saves my legs from wearing out. "'We've had a good many adventures together, Ozma and I, and she likes me.' The cab-horse was about to reply when suddenly he gave a start and a neigh of terror and stood trembling like a leaf." For around the corner had come two enormous savage beasts, treading so lightly that they were upon him before he was aware of their presence. Jim was in the act of plunging down the path to escape when the sawhorse cried out, "Stop, my brothers! Stop, real horse! These are friends and will do you no harm." Jim hesitated, eyeing the beasts fearfully. One was an enormous lion with clear, intelligent eyes, a tawny mane, bushy and well-kept, and a body like yellow plush. The other was a great tiger with purple stripes around his lithe body, powerful limbs, and eyes that showed through the half-closed lids like coals of fire. The huge forms of these monarchs of the forest and jungle were enough to strike terror in the stoutest heart— and it is no wonder Jim was afraid to face them. But the sawhorse introduced the stranger in a calm tone, saying, This noble horse is my friend the cowardly lion, who is the valiant king of the forest, but at the same time a faithful vassal of Princess Ozma. and this is the hungry tiger, the terror of the jungle, who longs to devour fat babies, but is prevented by his conscience from doing so. These royal beasts are both warm friends of little Dorothy, and have come to the Emerald City this morning to welcome her to our fairyland. Hearing these words, Jim resolved to conquer his alarm. He bowed his head with as much dignity as he could muster toward the savage-looking beasts, who in return nodded in a friendly way. Is not the real horse a beautiful animal? asked the sawhorse admiringly. "'That is doubtless a matter of taste,' returned the lion. "'In the forest he would be thought ungainly, "'because his face is stretched out, "'and his neck is uselessly long, "'his joints I notice are swollen and overgrown, "'and he lacks flesh and is old in years.' "'And dreadfully tough,' added the hungry tiger in a sad voice. "'My conscience would never permit me to eat "'so tough a morsel as the real horse. "'I am glad of that.' said Jim, for I also have a conscience, and it tells me not to crush in your skull with the blow of my powerful hoof. If he thought to frighten the striped beast by such language, he was mistaken. The tiger seemed to smile and winked one eye slowly. You have a good conscience, friend horse, it said, and if you attend to its teachings it will do much to protect you from harm.' Some day I will let you try to crush in my skull, and afterward you will know more about tigers than you do now. Any friend of Dorothy, remarked the cowardly lion, must be our friend as well. So let us cease this talk of skull crushing and converse upon more pleasant subjects. Have you breakfasted, Sir Horse? Not yet, replied Jim. But there is plenty of excellent clover, so if you will excuse me, I will eat now. "'He's a vegetarian,' remarked the tiger, as the horse began to munch the clover. "'If I could eat grass, I would not need a conscience, for nothing could then tempt me to devour babies and lambs.' Just then Dorothy, who had risen early and heard the voices of the animals, ran out to greet her old friends. She hugged both the lion and the tiger with eager delight, but seemed to love the king of beasts a little better than she did his hungry friend, having known him longer. By the time they had indulged in a good talk, and Dorothy had told them all about the awful earthquake and her recent adventures, the breakfast-bell rang from the palace, and the little girl went inside to join her human comrades. As she entered the great hall a voice called out, in a rather harsh tone, "'What, are you here again?' "'Yes, I am,' she answered, looking all around to see where the voice came from. "'What brought you back?' was the next question. And Dorothy's eye rested on an antlered head, hanging on the wall just over the fireplace, and caught its lips in the act of moving. "'Good gracious!' she exclaimed. "'I thought you were stuffed.' "'So I am,' replied the head. "'But once in a while I was part of the gump, which Ozma sprinkled with the powder of life.' I was then for a time the head of the finest flying machine that was ever known to exist, and we did many wonderful things. Afterward the gump was taken apart and I was put back on the wall, but I can still talk when I feel in the mood, which is not often. It's very strange, said the girl. What were you when you were first alive? That I have forgotten, replied the gump's head, and I do not think it is of much importance. But here comes Ozma, so I'd better hush up for the princess doesn't like me to chatter since she changed her name from Tip to Ozma. Just then the girlish ruler of Oz opened the door and greeted Dorothy with a good morning kiss. The little princess seemed fresh and rosy and in good spirits. Breakfast is served, dear, she said, and I am hungry, so don't let us keep it waiting a single minute. End of chapter 16